laptop, or Chromebook, which should you get, and more coming up on today's episode of The Latest in Tech News. Hey, Gadgeteer, you're just in time for the latest episode of the world's fastest growing show on tech and gadget news. That's right, this is The Latest in Tech News. My name is Taylor Merrick, and uh, if you're new here, basically all we do is cover the latest articles heading on the internet, wherever they may be. And uh, kind of pointing out articles that may not be covered, but I feel are important enough to cover here. Uh, I do make the show notes available, links available over at technewsgadget.net. So if you're interested in more information, head on over to learn more and subscribe for free. Or if you feel like it, you can support the show. We have details on there as well. Today's feature article is, well, we'll be going over the laptop versus the Chromebook, uh, which is a better choice which works better for you. Um, I feel like it's a conversation worth having. Um, and I'll let you know in just a couple minutes. We'll also be taking a look at a $16 attack shows just how easy um, carriers are susceptible to, well, kind of sending your text message to a place where it should not go, uh, namely into ha- hackers' hands. And it gets really weird. Um, We'll be covering that, so for sure, stay tuned for that if you're wondering about, well, texting and text messages and uh, phone carriers and the like. We'll also be taking a look at Pawport, turning an ordinary pet door into a smart one. We'll also be taking a look at the Corsair K65 RGB mini gaming keyboard. So if you like colored keyboards, gaming keyboards. We'll be getting into that uh, near the end of the show. And finally, we'll be taking a look at a Zoom escaper tool that lets you get out of work or school video calls. However, don't, not highly recommended. So um, <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, stay tuned for that. With that being said, let's head on over to today's feature article. Oops. Well, it looks like my um, stream deck isn't working properly, which is fine. It happens from time to time. Perks of technology, right? Uh, it's one of the reasons I wasn't able to do a show yesterday. It was <clears throat> computers, I tell you. Anyways, laptop versus Chromebook. What's the difference and which works better for you? So you might be wondering, Windows, Mac, laptop, Chromebook. I don't What's the difference? Well, I'll break down the difference here. Uh, I do know the difference between both. I have owned both a laptop and a Chromebook, and my wife owns a Mac laptop, so I have some familiarity enough. But in case you don't believe me, uh, we can always just look at the um, articles here. So laptop versus Chromebook, what's the difference and which works better for you? This article comes to us from CNET. Chromebooks are laptops and two-in-ones running on Google's Chrome operating system. The hardware might look like any other laptop, but the minimalistic web browser-based Chrome OS is a different experience from the Windows and Mac OS laptop you're likely used to, or desktop. Whether you're considering switching from one to another, or a MacBook, or your kid received one from their school, or you're simply curious about Chrome, here's everything you need to know. When Chromebooks first arrived in 2011, they were routinely derided, and rightfully so, for their limited functionality and reliance on a consistent internet connection. But there is a reason for that. The operating system turns 10 years old this year, and today's Chromebooks are far from where they started, but some things haven't changed, and you might not be willing to work with the limitations that they do have. 
Also, if you don't feel like reading this and would just rather experience Chrome OS, you can temporarily run it on any laptop using an inexpensive USB flash drive you probably already have laying around. You could just test it out for yourself, see how it works. Now, here's the software situation. When Chrome OS launched, it was essentially Google Chrome's web browser. For those used to an operating system like Windows and Mac, it made the average Chromebook seem like little more than a laptop that runs the web browser, and that's about it. And that was basically the idea. Even if the Chrome OS never matured beyond that, the fact is quite a lot can be done entirely on the web these days. Take stock of everything you do on a daily basis, and you may find there's nothing you can't accomplish with Chrome at its most basic level. And that was also another point. That said, a Windows laptop or MacBook can run the Chrome browser, as well as other software supported by those operating systems. Even if you don't immediately need a particular piece of software, it was kind of nice to have the option. Plus, if you're shopping for a Chromebook for remote learning with Google Classroom, a Mac or Windows PC will work as well. Now, along those lines, Chromebooks are not natively compatible with Windows or Mac software. You can use VMware on Chromebooks to run Windows applications. There's also support for Linux softwares, too. Current models can run Android apps, and there are also web apps that are available through Google Chrome's web store. But one of the big hurdles here for many people is access to Microsoft Office. You see, you can't install it on a Chromebook, but Microsoft makes both web-based and Android versions available in the Chrome and Google Play stores, respectively. But generally speaking, if you need or want a specific Windows or Mac app, there's no suitable web or Android app substitute, and you don't want to use VMware, well, don't get a Chromebook. But here's the thing. Microsoft Office, you, ba you basically have Google Docs. You have everything you need right there. And, and, and Gmail. I mean, think of it that way. The difference between Office and, and, and Docs is really minor. But as for advanced photo and video editing capabilities, you'll want a regular laptop. Basic photo and video editing is fine, but Chromebooks typically don't offer the graphics performance you need for demanding tasks or, again, the option to install Windows or Mac games and software. On the other hand, with streaming game services like Google Stadia and NVIDIA GeForce Now, Chromebooks can now be used for more than Android and browser-based games. There are also several Android apps available for photo and video editing, including Adobe options. But uh, they, they range in a lot of specifications, depends on the, uh, the GPU they have. Uh, memory they have, storage they have, and then the uh, display. They are flexible. Cheap ones um, for Chromebooks usually come uh, at like, well, usually get a downgraded uh, CPU, GPU type thing. You usually get a uh, low amount of memory, uh, a low amount of storage. If you pay more money, you usually get better stuff going on that way. And web connection is mostly required, uh, but as for prices, that varies too. New Windows laptops for $200 are far, few and far between, and frankly are rarely worth buying. But here's the funny thing. Finding a good $200 Chromebook, on the other hand, is pretty easy to do. And while spending more will get you better build quality, and it generally holds true for any laptop, uh, more features, faster performance, even the premium Chromebooks typically start between 400 and 500, but they can easily run more than over a thousand dollars depending on your needs. That being a Windows laptop, with Windows laptops, you typically need to spend $700 or more to get a thin, lightweight model with decent performance and battery life that will hold its performance for years to come compared to a Chromebook that just says, hey, I just do one thing really well. And then uh, you guys figure out what you want to do. And I have a Chromebook, and I found out it like 
it strips away the need to like do anything else on on the laptop sorry chromebook and it simplifies it to word editing internet browsing maybe some youtube videos here and there uh, but keeps it simple to like a, a work-based functioning laptop computer but it's a Chromebook, whereas a laptop, you feel a lot tempted to get other stuff or other programs, play a game, watch a better video. And you're like, eh, do I really need to? I mean, I have a desktop computer or I could just watch it on the TV. Do I really need to? I, it, so it, it's kind of like a, a mental shift. And that's basically where Google's been uh, capitalizing on. So if you're looking for something where you just need all the nuts and bolts, but you don't want any of the bells and whistles. You just want the simple, basic stuff to help keep you focused. Chromebook does really well for that in terms of, of pricing. Price point is a lot lower than that. But remember, you're not going to be able to play any video games. You're not going to be able to watch uh, any high performance or do high video graphics involved audio, video, uh, photo editing. But it's works enough but i will have the article it does go on to uh, list a couple of laptops a couple of chromebooks that could work well um and then comparison price wise but yeah that, that's basically what you're looking at difference lies between a chrome book and a laptop make your own decision um be smart about it because you likely have it for a couple years down the road or so but if it's just for simple stuff a chromebook will do you just fine if you need something a little bit more uh robust laptop would be your better choice but then that kind of goes up into the fi higher 500 uh to a thousand dollar scale so just something to keep in mind when you make your next purchase all right on to our next article today and by the way don't forget to subscribe and follow this podcast uh, i would hate to have you miss out on all the news that we come out with i know we didn't do a show yesterday but today is saint patrick's day so for the luck of the irish sake subscribe to the show if you are getting value out of what you are learning today and let me know uh technewsgadget at gmail.com what you would like to hear more about I, I do my best to keep up with all the trends and, and the latest news but sometimes if there's something specific that i may have missed let me know make sure to cover it on the show. This article comes to us from Ars Technica, and it's about a $16 attack shows how easily carriers make it to intercept text messages. Reporter details problem in a story titled, Hacker Got All of My Texts for $16. Uh, Vice reporter Joseph Cox detailed how the white hat hacker, an employee at a security vendor, was able to redirect all of his text messages and break into online accounts that rely on texts for authentication. This wasn't a SIM swap scam in which hackers trick or bribe telecom employees to port a target's phone number to their own SIM card, Cox wrote. Instead, the hacker used a service by a company called Sakari, which helps businesses do SMS marketing and mass messaging to reroute my messages to him. The message, or well, method rather, tricked T-Mobile into redirecting Cox's text messages in a way that might not have been readily apparent to an unsuspecting user. Unlike SIM jacking, where a victim uses loses cell service entirely, my phone seemed normal, he wrote, except I never received the messages intended for me, but he did. The unnamed hacker is director of information at Oki Systems, a security vendor. They used a prepaid card to buy Sakari's $16 per month plan, and then after it was done, it let me steal numbers by just filling out LOA info with fake info. The employee told Cox, 
The LOA is a letter of authorization, a document saying that the signer has authority to switch telephone numbers. It's kind of creepy. A few minutes after they entered my T-Mobile number into Sakari, the hacker started receiving text messages that were meant for me. He said, I received no call or text notification from Sakari asking to confirm that my number would be used by their service. I simply stopped getting texts. After gaining access to Cox's messages, the hacker sent login requests to Bumble, WhatsApp, and Postmates and easily accessed the accounts, the article said. As for how Sakari has this capability to transfer phone numbers, researcher Karsten Knoll from Security Research Lab said, There's no standardized global protocol for forwarding text messages to third parties, so these attacks would rely on individual agreements with telcos or SMS hubs. Noel Cox is a T-Mobile user. The hacker told him that the carrier doesn't matter. It's basically the Wild West. So now, um... Carriers are having to take precautionary measures because of that. Um, they're looking at it, um, and they're looking at possibly seeing what they could do to combat that. Uh, Oki offers a tool for monitoring malicious changes to a user's mobile services. So you'll have to keep an eye off of that. Uh, as of the latest, Sakari responded to Ars Technica with a statement saying, we've now closed this industry loophole at Sakari and other SMS providers and carriers should do the same. When you port a mobile phone number in the U.S., like a customer switching carriers for voice calls, the carrier you're leaving authorizes your number's departure. There is no such industry standard for transferring ownership of messaging on mobile numbers. Security already goes above and beyond industry standards on verification for new clients and followed our carrier's guidelines to the letter. But in light of this development, we've now added a phone verification call to all new text-enabled numbers, so no one can use Sakari to exploit this industry loophole again. SMS is a hugely powerful communication medium, and as it continues to dominate the communication landscape, we'd welcome improvements needed from the industry, both carrier and resellers. So, ooh, close the loophole. And uh, it's kind of creepy that that existed, but uh, hey, thank goodness for um, having people keeping an eye out on things and making sure things are operating as it should be and things are being fixed as they need to be. All right, moving on to our next article today. By the way, if you guys are interested in any of the articles covered on today's show, simply head on over to technewsgadget.net and there you can click on all the articles Click on uh, any of the links to get the news directly. Or if you're listening in the Apple Podcast app, very simply swipe up for more details. And there you can tap on any of the links mentioned in today's show. This article comes to us from Digital Trends. And it's about Pawport turning any ordinary pet door into a smart one. It's got some pictures that goes along with it. So it's uh, worth a look at if you are a pet owner. A pet door is a convenient way for your pet to come and go as it pleases, but pet doors also present security problems, not to mention a chance for bugs and other invited animals to come inside. Pawport hopes to change that. This is a -a one-of-a-kind app-controlled pet door that fits into both existing pet door frames and transforms them into secure devices that intruders, both human and animal, can't get through. Best of all, you won't be spending a fortune on it. It can be controlled and locked through a smartphone app, but your pet can also control it via a Bluetooth chip on their collar. The chip will cause the door to open when your pet approaches, but don't worry, you can set specified curfew periods when your pet cannot go outside. Pawport keeps track of when and how often your pet goes outside, so you know what your four-legged friend is up to during the day. Once installed, Pawport provides an airtight steel that helps keep utility costs down and insects out. 
The door comes in several different designs that fit with almost any home aesthetic, and the three sizes ensure a fit with almost any pet door frame. The LEDs around the door function as a sort of nightlight and can be controlled through the app. The four-piece tunnel system used in the installation allows you to create a pet door through a wall, as well through an existing door in your home. Fallport, as well as a waterproof collar that controls it, is powered through rechargeable lithium-ion batteries that go for weeks on a single charge. And don't worry if the batteries are charging and you need to open a door, Fallport can be controlled through simple manual controls on top of the door frame. Uh, the idea behind Pawport is that pet owners should not only be secure, but also stylish and safe. And if you're wondering, how in the world did they figure all of this stuff out? Well, because it's a Kickstarter. And Kickstarters are usually known for having pretty good product ideas going on. The device is starting a 60-day run on Kickstarter with an early bird price of $349 and an estimated retail price of $499. Just be mindful that a pledge isn't a guarantee you'll receive a product. If you've been looking for a way to give your pet more freedom while also keeping your pet home safer than a traditional pet door can, Pawport is worth considering. And we'll say, you do have to keep an eye on things when it comes to Kickstarters. But for my money's worth, the last purchase I bought from them was a uh, was an interesting vacuum broom. I'm not kidding you. It's called Vabroom. And it they ran into some problems in both finishing production, manufacturing of it, and shipping of it because logistics changed and um, caused some problems. But they they did their due diligence in getting the product out to us, even though it was a couple months or so later than they had estimated. I'm perfectly fine with that. The product looked good. The product looked solid. I heard a lot of good things about it. I saw a lot of good things about it. The owners did a very good job of keeping us up to date with how things were going logistically, just so that we know when to expect it. But when the Vabroom finally arrived, I'm not kidding you, the wife ran around and started sweeping up everything. And then I tested out, I sweep up a couple of things too. And then it has like a vacuum attachment on the end of it that just sucks up all the dirt. It's crazy, but it's by far one of the best products I've bought off of Kickstarter. And, uh, if this paw port is something that's up your alley, feel free to take a look into it. Um, and that's all I can say you, to you. But Kickstarters have generally, generally panned out well, and uh, you generally do receive the product. But just keep an eye out on it uh, because they're, well, the same with Kickstarter, same with the GoFundMe, same with anything else. There are scammers out there looking to take advantage of this. But usually if it reaches this stage on a, on a Kickstarter, it's generally... Uh, well received enough that it it looks like it should do what it's advertised to do and the company has enough investors in it and they actually have things going on behind the scenes and are actually working to get you a good product so take a look at it and uh, let me know what you think if you do happen to pick one up all right gamers what i have on the screen right now and if you're wondering, well, is this recorded as a video? Yeah, but you have to be a supporter of the show to see it. Otherwise, you're one part of the lucky few that are able to see this as a video, in which case perks to you for being able to watch this as a video. But if you do want to subscribe and, and get the full video of this and any other past show, head on over to technewsgadget.net and click on support the show. You might get some perks that go along with it that you might not be expecting. This article comes to us from The Verge. 
Corsair's K65 RGB mini gaming keyboard is for people who think less is more. Um, this is a small keyboard, but uh, hey, let's cover it. Corsair is the latest company to introduce a 60% wired mechanical keyboard of its own, lopping off the arrow keys and other functions for a more compact design. The K65 RGB Mini costs 110 bucks and has a design that is about as subtle as Corsair's ever produced. It connects via its included detachable USB-C to USB-A braided cable to your PC, macOS computer, or Xbox One. This keyboard joins the ranks of Razer's $120 Huntsman Mini, HyperX's $100 Alloy Origin 60, and Ducky's 1-2 Mini, among others. Like other 60% models, many of the function keys are embedded as secondary functions you can execute by holding the FN key. As a result, it lacks about several keys you might be accustomed to seeing on a keyboard. If you primarily use a PC for gaming or are able to quickly learn a new keyboard layout, the transition to a 60% keyboard shouldn't be too difficult, but if you're used to a more standard, well, it's going to be a learning curve. The K65 RGB Mini that the author here briefly tested is equipped with Cherry MX Speed linear switches, which have the signature mechanical sock sound. Unlike some other switch types, these are very easy to press and have a short, smooth travel. You can also choose between Cherry MX Silent or Red switches depending on your region. Keyboard also has per-key RGB backlighting, and you can tweak that on Corsair's IQ software. The keys are removable, and there's a key removal tool included in the box along with a different space key. The bottom row is a standard layout, so you can equip it with custom keycaps if you prefer. Um, and it goes on to talk about some statistics. Um, the design of the keyboard is subtle, clean, and subdued. Aside from its backlighting, its light on logos and other details make sense. Corsair knows its need to appeal to gamers who prefer a minimalist design, since that's the whole appeal, anyways, of opting for a 60% keyboard anyway. So there you have it. Let's, uh, let's take a final glance at it. Yeah, I can see it, um, but I don't think I will. I, I need a full keyboard. I'm way too used to a full keyboard. <laughs> okay, to be fair, a Chromebook has a lot fewer options as well. And uh, the stupid caps lock key isn't a caps lock key. It's a search function key. And it's like, what are you doing? But uh, yeah, if you guys want, there are links in the show notes. All right. And for today's final article, uh, Zoom Escaper tool lets you get out of annoying work-related video calls. Uh, let's just hope your boss isn't reading this. This article comes to us from the New York Post. A Brooklyn developer and artist has created a digital tool called Zoom Escaper that lets users get out of boring work-related video calls. Although you could probably use the same thing for school, except I don't think either would be recommended. I don't know. Or just say, I got to go and then turn it off. That's what you could do. No. The Zoom Escaper is a tool to help you escape Zoom meetings and other telecommunication scenarios. Creator Sam Levine wrote on Twitter Monday, launching the product. It allows you to self-sabotage your audio stream, making your presence unbearable to others. Among other things, it mimics digital interference and disruptive outside noises. And it's meeting uh, attendees thrilled. The announcement has more than 3,000 likes. The digital destroyer is a perfect antidote to Zoom fatigue, a term for the overwhelming feelings of deflation and exhaustion caused by a year of working and learning remotely this past year on Zoom. Behavior ordinarily reserved for close relationships such as long stretches of direct eye gaze and faces seen close up has suddenly become the way we interact with casual acquaintances, coworkers, and even strangers. Um, 
But despite its name, Zoomscaper can be used in any program that uses your microphone, including Google Meet, Levine said. Users can download the program at zoomescaper.com for free. They have detailed instructions for how to use it there. Effects include technical difficulties such as delays, echoes, choppy audio. They also include some outside interference such as the sounds of a man crying, a strong wind blowing, a baby crying, construction, and dogs barking. You can also upload your own disruptive sounds to the website. Just make sure you test it out with a friend before you try to duck out of a work call. Users can't hear the sound effects during a meeting, only the other participants, and it might annoy you them long enough that they might actually boot you from the call. Uh, so keep that in mind. Um... <laughs> Why does this product even have to exist? I think that's the point. It's just a joke. Um, but go ahead, try it, test it out, see what you think, and uh, have fun, is all I can say. And with that, that wraps up the latest episode of the latest in tech news. Thanks for tuning in. The latest in tech news can be found on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else podcasts are found. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know by leaving a review and sharing this episode with a friend. Also, double check that you're subscribed and following for free so that you don't miss the next episode. I'm your host, Taylor Merrick, and remember, for the latest in tech, gadget, and gaming news, visit technewsgadget.net. Pretty much keeping awesome, guys, and I'll see you on the flip side.